Hi, everybody. I'm Patricia Duff, and welcome to The Common Good. And we've got a very exciting edition of our Rising Leaders series. Before we begin tonight's conversation, I'd like to welcome a few VIPs and honorables in the audience, particularly former New York State Senator Frank Leichter, New York State's former First Lady, who is also on our honorary advisory board, Sildewal Spitzer, uh, Nancy Collins uh, from the press, and others, uh, too many, too numerous, and all of you are so important to our um, our political life. At the Common Good, what we try to do is give our members a chance to meet leaders in government, media, business, and academia for meaningful conversations about policies and politics that shape our nation. We're really dedicated to sharing ideas because we know that change can happen one conversation at a time. But with your support, we'll continue to fight misinformation and division by presenting high quality discussions and briefings like today's to create a community that values thoughtful reasoned debate and to find common ground. If you support these ideals and haven't done so already, please consider joining the Common Good. We would be thrilled to welcome you. Today, we're honored to have a rising star with us, Representative Chrissy Houlihan. She just went down to the floor to vote and she's expected back uh, momentarily and we're really thrilled to, to have her. Um, Houlihan is a bit of a wonder woman who's excelled and led in so many areas. She was an Air Force veteran, uh, as well as the first woman elected to represent Pennsylvania's 6th Congressional District, <laughs> serving in the Air Force. Chrissy helped launch several thriving companies, worked as a chemistry teacher for Teach of America, and led and scaled a nonprofit organization focused on promoting children's literacy. Hi, everyone. Here she is. Okay, great. Hold on. Sorry. Um, well, we're so I, glad you're here, Chris. I was just giving you a little intro. You, 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 you look like one of our uh, frontline uh, nurses there for a second, our doctors. Um, I was just saying what a Wonder Woman you are and um, how fantastic you've been uh, as, a, as a voice in Congress working your vision of a country united by common values. So Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, of course. I, I apologize for being a couple minutes late. I'm also uh, running between votes. And I was hoping that the next vote would be called at four, but they haven't yet called it. So I might have to literally run to make some votes and then come back. But I look forward to this conversation and I apologize for being so frantic. Well, we're gonna operate on the understanding that we don't know how long we're gonna have you. And, and Kate Koplovitz is here uh, to help us out. We are very excited to have our good friend, Kay Koplovitz, who's on our honorary advisory board. She's a groundbreaking leader in the media industry, the founder of the USA Network and the first woman in history to head a television network. I'm always in awe of you, Kay. She's the, also the founder of Springboard Enterprises, which really helps uh, bring women founders to full parity in raising capital. Kay, thank you so much for joining us. And with that, I pass the conversation over to you. Thanks so much, Patricia. Really glad to be here with the Congresswoman Lulahan. Uh, my first question for you, with all your varied background, is what motivated you to run for Congress? Sure. And it seems like a, a fair enough question. Uh, and a complicated answer. Uh, I do have a really diverse background that um, really never anticipated uh, running for any sort of elected office. I 
served uh, in the military, of course, right after school with a background in engineering. And then from there grew a, a company that focused on basketball apparel and footwear. And from there uh, moved into corporate social responsibility or ESG uh, focused organizations. And from there to the chemistry classroom and to growing um, a nonprofit focused on early childhood literacy. And so for me, um, my path, even though it seems erratic and eclectic, had a, a through line, and the through line was one of service, um, whether it was in service of country uh, through the military or in service of good business or in service of our kids and, and communities and ed education. Um, I thought I was, as a, as a regular citizen, doing my job, you know, and participating in our in our country and our economy in the best way that I knew how, um, including raising my own kids as well. Um, but for the very first time in 2000, I guess it was 16, I felt as though um, I didn't recognize the government that I had been raised to serve in, and I didn't recognize some of the choices that we as an electorate were making about the government. Um, I had been raised by one Democrat and one Republican, mom and dad, a really purple family and lived in a really purple community. Uh, but I really was frankly worried about the trajectory of our democracy and the republic uh, in the election of 2016 and kind of did a, an inventory of, of my, my background and abilities and decided that the best use of myself at this point of time was to try to be helpful um, and to try to serve in, in elected office. And I uh, frankly decided that I was not, not, um, not young enough to be able to climb the, the ladder, so to speak, and felt I was qualified to be able to serve in, in a place like Congress. And then I represented my community well. Uh, so decided to run for Congress um, with every anticipation, frankly, that I would not be successful um, because this is a purple place that I serve in. Uh, and this is a equally divided Republican, Democratic, and a lot of independent folks. Uh, but I thought that in running, I would at least provide an example and at least give the opportunity for people to see a different opportunity. And I'm grateful to be here right now. I am now in my third year. Um, I still serve a very purple place and I'm really grateful to the, for the chance to try and take all those, those backgrounds and skills uh, here to Congress, which unfortunately are, are very uncommon. All of those different backgrounds are not necessarily pre prevalent in this, uh, in this Congress. So moving on to uh, serving your constituents in the 6th District um, and talking about the infrastructure bill, uh, can you break it down to what does it mean to people in your district and what people across the country in their hometowns can expect out of the infrastructure bill should it get passed? <laughs> I hope it gets passed too. I'm ready. I've got my voting card right here. Um, you, you can leave and vote anytime now. <laughs> I actually might have to run for a few seconds and go vote on something else. Um, we, are, we are now in the midst of a series of six votes and I've done just one of those. Um, but I think what the infrastructure uh, bill separate from the Build Back Better bill does is what would normally be termed the hard infrastructure aspects of the um, economy and supporting and shoring up those areas of bridges and railways and tunnels, uh, water, a safe water, um, making sure that we all have access to broadband equitably. Um, those are some of the, the fundamental things that I think our economy has been crying out for a long time for us to invest in, not just you know this last administration or this administration, but rather for a very long time. I'm privileged enough to have been able to travel around the world previous to this job and to see the different infrastructure uh, plays that our competitors and allies are doing around the world. Mm -hmm. And um, I wish that more Americans had the opportunity to see what we're up against. 
uh, and mm -hmm. how refined the, that infrastructure is. And so I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to vote for the infrastructure bill. I was ready months ago to, to vote for that sucker. Uh, and I'm hoping that it's coming as early as possibly today, tomorrow, or this weekend. Uh, well, thank you for that. Uh, uh, really, you have been a very strong proponent for uh, the paid family leave. It has been in the proposed bill, um, in Build Back Better. It has been out. Uh, as of this morning, it seems like it's back in. Um, I just love the people here to hear your perspective on the need to have it, um, what it means to your constituents and what it means across America. Sure. It is one of those things that is uh, something that I've worked on since coming to Congress. I was helpful in the NDAA, which is the defense authorization process to get um, family leave for federal employees, 2.1 million federal employees uh, passed a couple years ago. I was helpful in shoring that up and making sure we didn't have any gaps in that last year. And in this year's NDAA, we're finally hopefully going to be able to harmonize that across all the armed services so that every service, regardless of which one you serve in, has a consistent amount of leave of 12 weeks and consistent for men and women for both sides of the family. Um, and so this is something that I'm passionate about because it's personal to me. Uh, I, I served uh, in 1992. I was pregnant with my first child and really had uh, a problem uh, with trying to figure out how to navigate the fact that I had at that point six weeks of uh, leave for, for childbirth but also a six month base waiting list. Um, so I had this sort of gap in coverage, so to speak. And the assumption was that, that I was the woman in the relationship, to be honest, and that my husband likely would be uh, the one who was serving and wearing the uniform. And he in fact was not, he's a civilian. Uh, and so this was something that was really hard for me to figure out how to navigate as a young mom when I separated from the military in part because of this, this issue, but not completely. Uh, I joined the board of a child care resource center to try and figure out how to help people who struggled with the same issues that I had with, with raising my family. And for me, the important aspects of the family leave or, or, or medical leave is that this is obviously helpful for families. Um, and it helps them to be able to have continuity and, and to be able to you know, grow their careers successfully. But it's also really important for the economy writ large because this is an opportunity for us to grow up our workforce, literally. Uh, if you have to end up leaving the workforce as, as a woman or a man for a certain amount of time and pick it back up whenever you're able to, you're behind and you're not producing for the economy in the way that you could if you were able to have uh, a certain determined amount of leave. And also, frankly, you're benefiting that child or that person that you're caring for in the case of elder care as well. Um, and so this is, you know, an important thing that isn't just for individuals. It's not just for moms. It's not just for families. It's for the society at large. So it's in the bill right now. Um, but I don't know that it will stay. Uh, to be honest, that's, it's not okay, but it's okay. I think part of one of the things that we struggle with as a nation and as a government right now is we need to be able to compromise. And we need to be able to get, you know, the, the perfect cannot be the enemy of the good. And if my perfection is, you know, family leave and I stand on the sidelines and don't allow real progress to happen, historic progress to happen, then shame on me. So I'm hoping that a lot of my colleagues don't do that uh, for whatever their individual project is. Right. I mean, I, I think we could talk uh, at length about uh, the lack of a common good, as uh, a thing, uh, in our political process today. And do you have any thoughts about how, how do we change it? How do we, can we move back to more, you know, 
a consistent common good because right now it doesn't appear to be there. So um, I think at all. And and I'm, I'm sorry, I want to jump in here years. really quick and just say, Chrissy, you've got uh, seven minutes and nine seconds left, and there are 100 people who have not yet voted. All right, I'm getting my card out so that I'm ready, and then I'll sprint across the wall. Um, so what I would say to that is, I think that um, civility and decency, I would hesitate to say is dead, but it's definitely on life support. Um, and I think that we need to recognize that this is how we get things done is to work together, to work collaboratively, to listen to one another and to be exposed to one another. I'm fortunate enough to have been not only an, a military member myself, but also a, um, a child of military folks too. And moving around really has that benefit of being able to see that we have a lot in common, a lot more in common than we do differently. And being able to collide with each other in different places is also something that we don't have anymore. So one way that I think we can be helpful in this area is with national service. Um, I'm not at the place where I would say that it's a mandatory national service, but I do think it would be very helpful to create more pathways for people to be able to serve, whether in the military or otherwise. I, I did Teach for America as well. These are places where we can kind of collide with each other in a way that we don't right now and where we can also be force multipliers and be able to have um, more effect, you know, that one person have more effect. For instance, when I was teaching chemistry in North Philadelphia, I believe that I had an effect on everyone in my classroom, I hope, but also the parents around. I know they had an effect on me. They certainly gave me a perspective that I never had, would have had otherwise on the inequities of our, our education system. Uh, so those kinds of uh, elevations of national services one way. I think also electing people who wanna serve their communities um, by bringing people together rather than bringing them apart. We try to have uh, very deliberate town halls that are very deliberately structured, much like a classroom in the sense that we have norms, we have ways that we're trying to behave with one another uh, mm -hmm. and expectations of how we are going to communicate. and. A curriculum, you know, of what we're going to be talking about. So I, I do think we need to hit the reset button. And I think it, a lot of times it means be doing it in person. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. I, I wanted to move on to, and I don't know if you have to leave to vote now, or if you have a few more minutes, because I really wanted to talk about another issue uh, that, you know, maybe not front and center right at the moment, but has been for a number of years, uh, sensible gun law, mm. uh, which, uh, you know, here in, at least in New York City, uh, and in the state of New York, uh, there is a before the Supreme Court, uh, you know, test of the law to have a special permit to carry guns outside the home. A lot of states allow just carry anywhere, uh, and this is likely to be struck down, at least uh, perhaps being struck down in the state of New York that uh, that they have the limitations on it. What is your view on that? Because you've been very vocal on this issue. Yeah, in fact, when I was running for Congress in my purple place and my very equally divided Democrat and Republican place that had not been served by a Democrat ever in 163 years, I was told, do not talk about guns, do not talk about gun safety. Uh, it will be the death of your, your uh, ambitions. And I just said, you know what, if I can't talk about that, if I can't talk about it as an educator, as a mom, as somebody who's served in a uniform, then uh, who else should? And I'm, I'm willing to say that if I do talk about that and that therefore I lose, then I'm not the right person to represent my community uh, because this is a really, really important issue. Uh, gun safety is, is one of the things that people bring up all the time in my, in my purple community where 40% of us own uh, firearms of one form or another. I'm saddened to say that at the federal level, we really haven't gotten anywhere in the last several years. I'm not really sure when we will, to be really honest. 
So this goes down to the local and state level, you know, largely where we really have a lot of work to do. Pennsylvania is one of those places that has a great deal of work to do, uh, but it's terrifying. And every single time, you know, somebody gives me a call after the most recent, you know, atrocity of one form or another, it bubbles back up. But every single time, as you said, it sort of goes back down into the common, you know, consciousness and we don't hear from it from about it again until some other equally offensive, you know, mass murder or mass shooting happens. So keep pushing on it is what I would say and keep uh, frankly uh, voting for candidates and people who uh, have this at the top of their agenda because we really do need some some serious reform and we don't need uh, you know military grade weapons on our streets. Oh, for sure. But I think that the uh, majority of the deaths are really caused day in and day out yep. by firearms. Yeah. Yep. And I think people don't realize yet, yep. even though there's plenty of information available, that the real tragedy is uh, day in and day out deaths yep. caused by firearms um, and arguments and you know people doing mental a lot of health things. and death by suicide yeah. and and all of those kinds of things. Um, and also, you're right. We don't talk a lot about the you know, kids in my community when I was teaching chemistry um, who on the regular, probably once, twice and three times a week, somebody within their immediate span, you know, would be shot uh, for various different reasons. Um, and so you're right, this is kind of a, an epidemic, a very quiet and silent epidemic, unfortunately, uh, that mm -hmm. we're not, not aware enough about. Mm -hmm. Talking about education, I just wanna to move to that uh, area for questioning now, uh, because you're a teacher yourself, Teach for America, obviously in great service, the country as a chemistry teacher. Uh, but now we've gone through 18 months of COVID, but kids in school, especially younger kids, I think, really are probably you know, set back somewhat um, by having in school, out of school, online, back of school, out of school. There are, uh, you know, and parents are, exhausted by it, I would yep. say. Um, and we know that a lot of women have had to drop out of the workforce because of it. But I'm more interested in your opinions being a teacher about the effect on the students. And at different age levels, do you have a different opinion about how it affected them? And how do we get them back on track to really, uh, you know, the kind of learning progress they should be making? Yeah, at their and, age and, level? And I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump in here and say, Chrissy, you've got uh, one minute, there are 37 members though who've not yet voted. So Michelle, would you like me to go vote? And am I, am I coming back or what's my, what's my cadence here? You're, you're what, you're a minute away from the floor? Yeah. Why don't you go go vote and then come back and take a question or two and then, and then okay. go vote again. <laughs> and I will warn you that my internet is not working here in the room that I'm in and I have my hotspot on my phone working and I have 20% battery. So I hope that in all of that, everything will work. So I'll be right back. Okay. Please thank you very much if we don't get you to return. So perfect. I told you she had common sense. It's really terrific. That was great, Kay. Um, maybe we could just have a little conversation um, with some of our group here. Anybody wants to add a comment? We have three questions from the floor when we um, get a chance to do it. And what we might do, Kay, to get everybody in uh, depending on how much time we have is, it, and I'm sure you have a, still have other questions too, is we could ask them to do the three questions at once and then she can just do them all in order. Absolutely, I take questions from the floor. I think people on the line, you know, who, who have questions uh, with us, uh, let's let's get their questions out. But I, I have more, we don't wanna do that, whatever. Yeah, you I, I thought, thought the gun question and the uh, education are so important, particularly now. 
So, I, but I am curious if anybody has any comments about um, what they think the vote uh, on Tuesday meant. Well, to give one opinion, I don't know, am I unmuted? That's Franz Leichter. Yeah. Um, one of my heroes from the New York State Senate from a while back. Great to have you on. Go ahead. Uh, uh, it was very clear that Democratic voters were apathetic. They didn't turn out. I think they were uh, disenchanted with the lack of uh, um, productivity in the Congress. And um, well, I wanted to ask the Congress uh, member when she comes back. Here she is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the question was about education and early childhood education and uh, learning loss. Uh, and the answer is it's complicated, right? Because it has to do, as you mentioned, with um, what, which child, whether you know, young or middle school or high school, whether college, whether you know, um, any other form of education, um, it's complicated when you have a different methodology of teaching. And I hope that at this point, we will go to um, thinking about whether or not we can localize the solutions. And so part of what I did through my own version of Springboard, one of you guys was introduced as having uh, worked at Springboard or being on the board of Springboard. I helped to uh, grow a company, a nonprofit called Springboard that focused on this exact issue, which is that kids primarily in urban and rural areas were learning about six months worth of literacy progress or gaining about six months worth of progress over the course of nine months of education. And then they were losing as much as three months over the course of the summer. And this was obviously not okay, given the fact that other people, other people's children were gaining nine months and then they were also not necessarily sliding backwards the three, in some cases gaining uh, over the course of of the year and as a result in literacy specifically and the same thing can be seen in, in numeracy um, there were inequities by the time somebody was in third or fourth grade they were tragically behind and in fact many of the kids that i taught at 11th grade were reading at the third and fourth grade le uh, level so then you layer over that covid and you layer over it the inequities of a lot of our kids not having access to the internet or or tablets or um any sort of uh, the ability for people to be engaged in helping them learn, maybe a parent or something like that. Uh, and we have a lost you know, generation of, of people who, many generations of people who are now hope, uh, about probably a year and a half and even more behind. So I guess my advocacy would be for this to be solved at the local level. I think that people know it, what's happening best within the classrooms that, are, that we're talking about and within the communities that we're talking about. And it takes resources to be able to think about that. It takes resources to be able to think about what kind of interventions we should be doing and whether or not they should be, I would say they probably should involve adults in, the, you know, in that child's life or in the, in the young adult's life. I think it probably should involve uh, strengthening the training that exists in classrooms right now. And, and some of the legislation that we're passing right now with Build Back Better um, actually talks about this building capacity within schools and not having it kind of parachuted in, uh, but rather trying to figure out what have we learned through the pandemic? What do we know about education and how do we supplement uh, what we've lost? But I do worry. I was, I was walking through a park. I was uh, watching a young mom talking to her, her infant with a mask on. And I was thinking, wow, you know, what, what's happening to that whole age group of kids 
that aren't necessarily seeing even their moms, you know, expression all the time, uh, what's going to happen that we need to, you know, recover from. Same thing, frankly, with mental health issues. Um, I know that mental health issues have become chronic amongst school-aged kids um, all the way through college, and, and frankly, similarly with adults too. So much of the resources that we're looking in for some of these larger packages and from some of the packages we've already passed address the mental health issues too, but hopefully sending that down to communities uh, and local governances. Uh, on that issue again, um, in, in preschool, um, universal preschool, I, I, I'm old enough to remember that we had two years of kindergarten when I went to school in public school uh, in the suburb of Milwaukee. And, um, and I actually broke into uh, kindergarten uh, when I was three years old and insisted on being there for some reason. I thought it was really cool. Um, and so I had more, even more. But I think that people don't realize that the brain develops in the first three years of life, the brain is 80% developed. And if we don't get this universal uh, kindergarten uh, available for young you know, children, um, they're, do, they're in the position that you just talked about. They're never going to catch up um, if they yeah. haven't come to first grade with knowledge of how to read literacy. And, and it's even uh, as simple. And recognize it, it, the letters it, and so forth. Yeah. It's even as simple as not even getting to that point. There are, by the time you're a two or three year old and maybe just hitting four, if you haven't had the exercise of, of understanding that this is a book and that it opens at least in our area this way and that you, you know, yeah. track in this manner, this is not about, do I know what my letters and numbers are? Do I know what they sound like? This is just that skill, that understanding, you're already behind. Um, and so it's pretty easy to be chronically behind without things like pre-K, things like universal, uh, frankly, childcare, uh, where you also learn some of those skills too. Right. Learn some of the socialization skills. Um, you know, there's a lot of tension. We just talked about it. A lot of tension uh, in Washington, uh, and that's different from the local level. And and I think we all have to learn to talk about what's important on the local level for people to get elected. Maybe uh, we're learning some of this in recent elections. But um, I think that uh, I would like to know if all through this trial period of time, what is the most humorous thing? has happened to you? Have there been any of humorous moments for you? Uh, let me think. Uh, there must uh, be something to make your day light up once in a while. Um, I don't know if, Michelle, can I? I yeah, I'm going to tell it. Um, so it's really interesting to be here because I, as I started the conversation, said, uh, showed, shared with you that I never expected that this would be, you know, my path. Uh, and so I was fortunate enough to be on a um, congressional delegation for the 75th anniversary of Normandy. Uh, and it was a very big congressional delegation. There were 40 or 60 members. And, and I was sitting next to a member whom I very much admire and but didn't know very well at that time. And she's now the chair of one of my committees, subcommittees, uh, Jackie Spear. And we were just talking and I was just talking about myself and chatter, chattering or whatever. And at one point in time, I just said, well, she's really drunk the Kool-Aid. And Jackie Spears stopped me and said, you probably shouldn't say that to me. 
Uh, and if anybody knows Jackie Spears' background, she actually was one of the people on the ground uh, during that particular situation and was shot and almost died as a result of, of that particular event in Jonestown when I was just a child, you know, a young person. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's not funny, but it's funny, you know, because yeah. um, you just, the, the, the awesomeness of humans who are around you here um, is just incalculable, calculable. And the experiences, the life experiences of people, you know, I learned that, that one of our uh, colleagues is one of the original Black Panthers. That's awesome. It's really, really awesome that people are here that I serve with. Uh, one of my colleagues is the first woman and Black speaker of the house in, in California. Just history makers are amongst me, John Lewis, you know. Um, so even though that's, you know, kind of off color and, and not necessarily my finest, proudest moment, uh, it just definitely was a moment of levity. Um, and another one is I have gotten to know uh, uh, Liz Cheney pretty well. And uh, we were just chat, chit chatting and things like that and talking about our dogs and we have the same dogs names and things like that and we share in common that we um, have daughters both who are getting married hers this October my next October. Um, mine is marrying a woman. Uh, and so that it was an interesting collision of conversations as well. So there's just all this interesting stuff that goes on here with a lot of people who, uh, who are really cool and nice to, nice mm -hmm. to learn from. Well, that's Chrissy, great. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that Chrissy, you can stay here all afternoon, but you do have to go. <laughs> go keep voting, keep voting. <laughs> well, thank you thank so you. much. I'm really delighted to have you here today and uh, really proud to have you represent us in Congress uh, from the sixth district. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And for those of you guys who, who commented and, 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 questions. Thank you very much for your questions. I take my job really deadly seriously, I'm trying to do my very, very best to represent both our community and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the country uh, and to advance us. Uh, and, and I also am part of a scrum of 435 on this side and 100 on that side. And so this is quite an effort uh, to get things across the finish line. So doing my best and I'll make whatever I can happen as soon as I can. Um, but thank you so much for the chance to talk to you guys. Oh, you're doing great. We're so, so honored to have had you, uh, Representative Houlihan. Thank you so much. And thank you, Kay, for, for terrific questions. Sorry we didn't, couldn't get to all your questions uh, from the audience, but perhaps we could send them to your office. You might have time to have somebody send them back. We really appreciate it. Sure. You're welcome, guys. Please be well. You too. Thank you so much.